This week, we finished the last big projects of the construction project. And so we can officially say uh, we still have a couple little things uh, to do. And come on, you, you know how construction projects go if you've ever done one. We'll be finishing up minor details like for the next year if we ever finish them, right? That's, I still have, I've done remodels at my house. I still have like, you know, one the random window that hasn't, the trim's not been painted yet. And it's like three years later, you know. So we'll be finishing some of this stuff. But what I've been saying all, all along is, is the purpose of this construction project isn't just so we have a nicer, more comfortable, cushy, fancier space that we all get to kind of come and hang out with each other. It really, I believe, is to strategically position us to better reach our community and better reach our world. And so I, last week, uh, I, I thought what we needed to do was take a couple weeks and really um, talk about some things that are on my heart for our church as we head into this new season. And after my message last week, uh, my friend John came up to me and taught me a, a term I'd never heard before. John's a local business owner that usually sits right up here. Uh, he said, hey, have you ever heard the term careening a vessel? Let me just do a test. How many of you have ever heard the term careening a vessel? Like, all right, two, two of you. I'd never heard it. And so what careening a vessel is, is, um, you know, in the old days when they had ships, wooden ships, they would actually sail the ship up onto a sandbar at high tide. And then when the tide would go out, um, it would lay over on one side and it allowed them to scrape the barnacles off and fix the spots that worms were starting to get in and create damage. And so that's what careening careening a vessel is. These days, it happens in dry dock, but they still do it. And uh, it just creates a more streamlined, and it realigns the hull of the ship to head in the direction that it needs to go. And I thought, that's a great term. That's a great expression. And so over this last week and this week, that's what we're doing, is we're really taking a, a, a moment to say, hey, I want to make sure as we head into this new season that we don't forget some things that have been very important to us from day one. And so that's what we're going to talk about today. Now, one of the incredible mysteries of history is how the name of Jesus ever made it out of the first century. I mean, the Romans crucified thousands upon thousands of people right around Jesus' time, but you've never heard any of their names. You don't know any of their names, but you know the name of Jesus 2,000 years later. In fact, 2,000 years later, a third of the world's population identifies with the name of Jesus. And, you know, um, historians and sociologists take a stab at how this happened because it really is one of the most remarkable or the most remarkable phenomenon in all of history. The truth is it, it, that it's the boldness of the first century church empowered by the Holy Spirit that led to you knowing the name of Jesus here 2,000 years later. It was their incredibly bold witness not to just some teaching, not, that, not to just some good principles, some moral truths, but to an event that they witnessed. And that event was the resurrection of Jesus Christ because they saw their friend and their savior, their, their master crucified. And then they saw him rise from the dead. They had breakfast with him. And then empowered by the Holy Spirit, they took this message out with incredible boldness and incredible risk to their lives into the nation. And, and they had a, a oneness of heart and a oneness of mission. They were sold out to it because they believed they had the greatest story, not story, the greatest truth in the history of the world to share. 
And that is the truth that through the death and resurrection of Jesus, that he, he is the Messiah, God's holy one. And he came and he gave his life. And through his death, through trusting in his death and resurrection, and what he did when he poured out his blood, what we just celebrated when we celebrated communion, what he did when he gave his body, he poured out his blood for the forgiveness of sins. It solved the two biggest problems for us, that sin separates us from God. And that the wages of sin is death because now anyone who believes in Jesus can be forgiven and have eternal life. And so they had the greatest message in the history of the world to share and they went out with incredible boldness and shared it. Now, today when you hear boldness associated with faith in our culture, you don't necessarily think good, do you? You probably think weird. Or at least that's the cultural narrative. In fact, in our day and time, actually, um, boldness when it's associated with faith is actually looked down upon. What are the two things you never talk about in polite company? Yeah, religion and politics, right? And there's this kind of cultural narrative that says, it's great to have what you believe, and that's fine. Believe whatever you want to believe. You know, have your, have your religion. But just by all means, don't share it with anybody else. Don't, don't push it on anybody else. Don't tell anybody else about it. Now, part of the reason that this is the narrative is because there have been some very weird and pushy and just um, not winsome Christians out there that gave Christians a really bad name, right? Some followers of Jesus, you know, on social media and all kinds of things, with their loudness, with their rudeness, have given Christians a wrong name. So in fairness, there's some, you know, there's some uh, truth to those allegations, right? And so for a lot of you, you associate boldness in your life with weird. And bold actually may not be something that you really want. But let me just ask you, if in your heart of hearts, if you really believed you had the greatest message in the world, and let me just say, if you're here and you're a follower of Jesus, if I ask for a show of hands, you would raise your hands. Let's just try this. How many of you believe you have the greatest news in the history of the world in Jesus? Come on, social pressure. You're going to raise your hand whether or not. Okay? Yeah. Why aren't we more bold? I, uh, I remember I was six or seven. We moved out to San Diego, and uh, my parents were in grad school out there. And I, I remember we hung out at this park, Balboa Park, and we'd go over there, and I met this kid at the park. And I, I still, this is one of my earliest memories. I remember telling him about Jesus after we were playing together, you know, and I told him about Jesus, and right there on the spot, I led him in a prayer to receive Jesus. And I look back and I'm like, where did that kid go? Because I'm just telling you, that I was, that was way more bold than I feel today. And I know you're like, you're on stage, you're incredibly bold. Ah, you know, you're, most of you all agree with everything I say, so you know. And if not, you'll just send me an email, you know. <laughs> yeah, so where did, where did that bold kid go, right? Um, my daughter, this was incredible. Uh, she was six years old. She's seven now. This was about a year and a half ago. And she just, she'd been praying for, for her great-grandmother. And uh, great-grandma had never made a confession to, that she believed in Jesus or and we just didn't know where she stood. And so she'd just been praying for great-grandmother. And it was just huge burden on her heart. 
And so my wife was encouraging her, why don't you talk to great-grandma? Because, you know, everybody in the family feels so awkward about talking to her. Not that we wouldn't, but, you know, it just feels awkward, right? And so Sarah, she was a little shy. She, she, she's like, I don't know if I can actually talk to her because she's a little shy, you know. But then she did something incredibly bold. On her own, she made great-grandmother a card. Check this out. This is the front of it. It said, I hope you will be saved. And then on the inside, it said this. Jesus is the Messiah. If you ask him in your heart, you will be a child of God. I love you, but God loves you so much more. Love, Sarah. God loves you. And then this is the sweetest part. Check out the back. She drew a picture of Grandma in her wheelchair saying, God. And there's God. Come to me. Isn't that awesome? Now, as a dad, you're just like, oh, my gosh. That just melts your heart, right? But here's the thing. She didn't quit praying for great-grandma. She prayed for great-grandma. And as we knew that great-grandma was deteriorating and, and heading towards the end of the life, she was really torn up. I mean, she, she was in tears some nights. And then we were, our family was out of town, and we got a call that great-grandma has passed away. But my daughter's grandma got to pray with her in this couple weeks leading up to her death and pray with her to receive Jesus and had really seen a transformation in her life. And it's this incredible thing, right? It's the faith of a child, the boldness of a child. And I'm guessing some of you had boldness like that at some point. Some of you had faith like that at some point. Maybe it was at camp where you first met Jesus. You had a passion to share what Jesus did in your life. You got up thinking about him. You know, you went to sleep praying. You had a song running through your heart all day long. But man, life just happens, doesn't it? And life has a way of just wearing that off of us as we age, isn't it? You get busy. You got to pay bills. You got a million things. You're running kids 18 different directions. And pretty soon, the message, the greatest message in the world just sort of lies dormant because you're just busy and tired and overwhelmed with life, right? And so oftentimes, that boldness that you might have had as a child just kind of wears off. I think many, for many of us in the room, we could say, yeah, that's me. Or yeah, that's been me for, for quite a long time, right? Now, in churches, churches often experience a very similar thing. Churches often start with a real outward focus to, to, to take this greatest message in the world and take it to the community and take it to the world. But so many churches, the natural gravitational pull of the church is to go from an outward focus to an inside focus, from an external focus on those we're called to reach and those we're called to love and serve to an internal focus of, hey, we've got a great place, we've got great friends, we just want to hang out with each other and we forget our mission. We forget our call. And, and I think as we head into a new season where we've completed all this construction and we got a, a nice looking facility after years in a hardware store, how many of you remember, um, let me just ask you, I did this last week too because it's kind of fun. So how many of you remember this first, uh, this first little service at this event center we have up there? Yeah, one of you, all right. And pretty much everybody that showed up to that first service, just showed up to high-five us and never came back. <laughs> They're like, good luck, you know. Um, 
just this handful. And we did church, and it was really, really hard over there for the first year, year and a half. Then we launched Sundays, right? And then we found out we might not have a place to meet, and we freaked out. And then God provided this huge building, and we ticked an Ace Hardware store, right? And took the thanks for shopping sign down and tried to figure out a way. It felt like a big, giant, open Walmart. And we're like, we have 35 people, or, you know, how are we going to make this not feel awkward? So put up some temporary partitions and all that. We had women and children out there just scrubbing the floors and scraping stuff off the floors, right? And now you walk in, you can hardly remember that. And here's what I want to avoid. As we head into this new season, I want to avoid the tendency for us to simply hang out with each other. I don't want to get comfortable and complacent. I want to maintain kind of that scrappy mentality that we had at the start, which is let's take everything God's given us and use it to reach people. Let's reach this community. Let's reach this world. And so last week, what we left you with was really um, some things that we're going to do, man. We're going to work really hard at at creating services. We call this both and. We're both longtime believers are encouraged to continue to grow towards Jesus. And if you're just checking out God Church in the Bible, this is your first time in church where you're going to feel included and welcomed, and we're going to um, do everything we can to make you feel at home here, right? So we're going to do that. We're going to invest in the next generation. We're going to invest in community and great relationships with each other. We call that genuine community around here. We're going to help you find that encouragement and healing for your life or for your marriage, right? We're gonna, we're gonna equip you and partner with you to disciple your kids because ultimately that's your job to move them towards Jesus, but we're gonna help you do that. And we're gonna, we're gonna equip you as much as we can to make an incredible impact beyond the walls of this church and get to the things that God's placed on your heart when it comes to reaching your community and reaching your world, right? And so I said, that's what we're gonna work really hard to do and here's two things we really need you to do as we head into this new season in order for us to stay on track. And those two things were, first, to show up to church for the sake of others. That when you show up here or in small group environments, you're not showing up just to be fed and you know, encouraged and all that kind of, we often get a consumer mentality, but you're showing up looking for people to encourage, looking for people who look like maybe they're not connected, looking for people who look alone. And every one of you, you know, if you've been here more than a couple weeks as an official greeter, you know, you're official. And we want you to show up to church looking for those that God might place on your heart to encourage and work hard at it. And then we, we ask you to pray and invite. And so last week, we sent you home with a real high-tech takeaway, a sticky note, and asked you to write two or three names. If you missed last week, I want to ask you to do this. And we don't have one for you, but I'm sure you can find one somewhere. Grab a sticky note. And write two or three names that God might be laying on your heart to begin praying for. That God would begin drawing them. That God would um, be moving in their lives. That he would draw them to himself. And then we need you to invite, right? So here's what I want to do today. I want to really talk about this second thing here, this pray thing. Because I think there's something critical in our lives um, in the way we pray. And I think as we head into this new season as a church, but not just for our church, for you individually, the way you pray will make a significant difference in what you experience in your walk with Jesus. The way we pray as a church is a good indicator of what kind of church we will become. And the way you pray individually is a good indicator of what kind of a follower of Jesus you will become. 
And let me just ask you, here's, here's, here's the issue, and here's what I, we're going to look at in Scripture in a second. But think about your prayers for a moment, your daily prayers. Hopefully you have a time or, you know, at least throughout the day you're, you're praying. Who and what are they mostly about? Now, I know the answer to that question. They're mostly about you. Okay, maybe Aunt Susie. Maybe a family member, a couple family members, friends. Maybe every once in a while there's a disaster and you throw one up for that, you know. But probably, if you're anything like the majority of followers of Jesus, pretty much your prayers are, are pretty much about you. They're pretty much about your family. They're about your situation. You know, uh, they're about your kingdom, our little kingdom. You know, Jesus said, seek first the kingdom of God. Oftentimes our prayers are pretty much mostly about our agenda, what we want to see in our life. And you know what? Um, That's not wrong. The things you pray for, the concerns, you know, your kid getting into a good school, getting better grades, Aunt Susie's health, all that stuff. That's, That's good stuff. God cares about that stuff. What I want to challenge you to do today is not to stop praying about all that stuff. Keep praying about that stuff. I want to challenge you to expand your prayers, to expand the scope of what you pray for in order to see God move more powerfully, in order to see your life leveraged more powerfully for his kingdom, in order to see you connect more with his greater purposes in this world. And so if you have your Bibles, you can turn over to Acts chapter 4. And this, what we're going to look at today in just a minute, is is the first recorded prayer in the early church. And if you're new around here, we often go verse by verse through whole books of the Bible. Um, This fall, we're doing some more topics and bouncing around a little bit more. Uh, We're going to get back to some book stuff a little bit later. But Acts chapter 4 is the first recorded prayer of the early church, right after opening day. And on opening day, the Apostle Peter, as the Holy Spirit comes on, about 120 people that are gathered in what's called the upper room, and they explode out in the streets, sharing the good news of Jesus with all these people in all these different languages that they understand. Amazing thing, the day of Pentecost. And then the Apostle Peter gets up and shares this incredible message with these people about Jesus, about the the fact that they witnessed Jesus' resurrection, that that there's salvation only in him, and they should repent and turn to him. Day one, 3,000 people join the church. 3,000 people accept this message. It's an incredible, incredible thing. Just a couple short, just a short little time later, the apostle Peter and the apostle John are together, and they're heading up to the temple to pray. And along the way, as they walk up to the temple, uh, they see this guy sitting down. He, he's been crippled for years and years and years, been, been a beggar, and he asks them for money, and they say, hey, we don't have any money. But Peter looks down, and with an incredible faith, he says, but I'm going to have what, what we have we're going to give to you. In the name of Jesus, rise up and walk. And it says the guy gets up. He's healed instantly by God. He gets up, and he starts what? Walking and leaping and praising God. And you remember the motions if you grew up in Sunday school. Incredible. And so Peter, then this huge crowd gathers around Peter in the temple mount because they just witnessed this incredible miracle. And Peter uses this as an opportunity to preach about the resurrection of Jesus and to preach of the fact that you crucified him, you better repent and turn back to him, and you can receive salvation. And about this time, all these guards and priests come up because there's this big ruckus going on. 
and they want to find out what it's all about. Acts chapter 4, verse 1. The priests and the captain of the temple guard and the Sadducees came up to Peter and John. These are all religious officials. They came up to Peter and John while they were speaking to the people. They were greatly disturbed because the apostles were teaching the people, proclaiming in Jesus the resurrection of the dead. They seized Peter and John, and because it was evening, they put them in jail until the next day. But many who heard the message believed, so the number of men who believed grew to about 5,000. During this time, the population of the city had swelled probably up to like 60,000, 70,000 people, and just 5,000 men, plus a whole bunch of women and children, had put their faith in Jesus already, like 10% of the population in just a matter of weeks. And there's this incredible hubbub going all around. And these guys are intimidated and threatened, these rulers are. And so they see Peter and John. They know they're preaching about the resurrection of Jesus. They throw them in jail for the night. Verse 5, the next day, the rulers, the elders, and the teachers of the law met in Jerusalem. Annas, the high priest, was there. And so were Caiaphas. If you know the story of the crucifixion, you recognize some of these names John, Alexander, and others of the high priest's family. They had Peter and John brought before them and began to question them. By what power or what name did you do this? You know, we see, we heard this amazing story. Actually, we've seen this guy and all of a sudden he's healed. How did it happen? Whose name? And these guys, talk about being intimidated if you're Peter and John. In fact, just about three weeks earlier, Peter was in the house of the high priest, and what did he do? When a, probably a teenage girl said, hey, you, you were with Jesus. He denies them three times, right? They all, all the disciples shrink back in fear. And now they're standing in front of the very guys who had Jesus crucified, the guys that stirred the crowd up to chant, crucify him, crucify him. They're standing in front of these very guys. And I don't know about you, but I'd be pretty intimidated, a little afraid to speak up in the moment, right? But see, an incredible transformation had occurred because they had witnessed the resurrection of Jesus. And then they'd been filled with the Holy Spirit. And just what Jesus said, hey, you're gonna get hauled in front of these people. It's happening now. And he said, don't worry about it when it happens. The Holy Spirit will give you the words to speak. And so here's, here's what Peter did as he stands in front of the very guys that condemned Jesus to death. It says this, verse eight. Then Peter, filled with the Holy Spirit, said to them, rulers and elders of the people, if we are being called to account today for an act of kindness shown to a man who was lame and are being asked how he was healed, then know this. You and all the people of Israel, it is by the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth. Now check out this boldness. I think he points at these guys. But the actual guys who you crucified, but who God raised from the dead, that this man stands before you healed. And then he quotes a, an Old Testament prophecy that everybody would have known. Jesus is the stone you builders rejected, which has now become the cornerstone. And then he concludes this little, this little sermon to these guys like this. Salvation is found in no one else, for there is no other name given under heaven by which we must be saved. Now, you're looking at it like, wow, that's pretty bold, Peter. That's pretty narrow. And Peter would go, no, no, no. 
Nobody ever made the claims that Jesus did. Nobody ever made the claims to be the exclusive way to the Father, that no one comes to the Father except for me. And then nobody backed up the claims, his claims, that I am the only way of, of life and salvation, that the way to salvation is through faith and trust in me. And he backed up those claims by pulling, predicting and pulling off his own death and resurrection. And so Peter's bold. He's bold about this. Verse 13, I love this verse. When they saw the courage of Peter and John and realized they were unschooled, ordinary men, they were astonished. And they took note that these men had been with Jesus. That's such an incredible verse. Because remember, he didn't choose the, the cream of the crop, the, the highest GPA students. He chose the working man, the working class, and entrusted them with this incredible, incredible mission. And they take note of the power, the authority with which they speak, and they take note, these guys have been with Jesus. And see, no matter where you're at, wherever you feel like, you know, I'm not qualified, whatever, it's not you. It's the power of Jesus working in you. That when he asks you to, when he asks you to be bold on his behalf, to share the truth of him, to pray for somebody. It's not you. It's the fact that if, if you've really been with Jesus, if you really know Jesus, it's him working through you. Verse 14. But since they, they could see the man who had been healed standing there with them, there was nothing they could say. And so they kind of send the guys out of the room, sort of have a powwow. And they're arguing, how do, we, how do we punish these guys, right? What are we going to do? And they can't agree because there's so much public pressure because these guys had just been, you know, the people that God had used um, to heal this guy that everybody had seen. I mean, everybody knows this. It's like this incredible miracle. Everybody's praising God. And so they're like, well, we can't exactly punish these guys right now, but they got us quit. They got to shut up about this whole resurrection thing. They need to shut up. So let's threaten them. And they reconvene, and it says this in verse 21. After further threats, they let them go. Further threats. And you remember, these are the guys that had just crucified Jesus. I wonder what those further threats were. If you guys don't shut up, you remember what we did to Jesus. If we have to haul you back in here again, it's not going to be pretty. You remember what Jesus looked like after the lashes, the crown of thorns said after further threats, they let them go. They couldn't decide how to punish them because all the people were praising God for what had happened. For the man who was miraculously healed was over 40 years old. Verse 23. says, on their release, Peter and John went back to their own people and reported all that the chief priests and the elders had said to them. I mean, their friends are so happy to see them. They were terrified. They threw these guys in jail and they knew what they'd done to their Savior, and they're just wondering if they're ever going to see their friends again. If they're going to get out of this thing alive. And now here's Peter and John, and they're back with them, and they're so relieved because they expected the worst. Now, if I put myself in this conversation, I think if it, maybe if this had been our, our kind of group and our modern way of thinking... And I could just hear the other friends of Peter and John going, guys, guys, wow, this is heavy, you know? 
we need some security around you guys, you know? We're going to get some tricked out camels, some spear-proof cages on top of them, you know? You guys can kind of roll around in. And guys, please, um, I think it would just be a good idea. I mean, be smart about this, right? I think it would just be a good idea if you dialed down the whole resurrection rhetoric. I mean, we saw it. We witnessed it. Pretty amazing. But just dial it down a little bit, right? Why don't you, I mean, everybody loved Jesus, the Sermon on the Mount, you know, that whole blessed are the peacemakers. Why don't you just go preach on that? Love your neighbor as yourself. Everybody agrees with that. That's a good one. Go share some of those. Oh, the lost sheep one. That's an amazing one, the prodigal son. Just go share those. Let's preach those around. But we'll kind of dial back on the whole resurrection thing for a while. Just kind of dial it back because it's just too risky right now. Maybe that's the way that conversation would have gone in modern times. Because, boy, we are so safety conscious, aren't we? I mean, you think about our culture. We are so safety conscious. It's, it's incredible. How many of you uh, did, rode a bike without a helmet growing up? <gasps> I'm shocked that you're still alive. <laughs> We're so safety conscious. We're so concerned about everything, aren't we, today? This is why the whole idea of boldness just feels so awkward for so many people. This is why the older you get, you know, when you're a kid, and you just know, like my daughter, right? She's got the greatest message in the history of the world. The way that grandma can know Jesus, why wouldn't she share it? Why wouldn't she be bold and passionate about it? We get older and it just feels awkward and it just feels like, I don't know. We get so concerned about what other people think, don't we? So here, now we have the prayer that these guys pray. This is the first recorded prayer in the history of the early church. Here's what it says in Acts 4, verse 24. When they heard this, all these people gathered together, followers of Jesus, they raised their voices together in prayer to God. Sovereign Lord, they said, you made the heaven and the earth and the sea and everything in them. So before we get to all of our requests, we just want to acknowledge who you are. You are the sovereign Lord. You're the creator of everything. We honor you. It's an awesome prayer. I love this prayer. Verse 25, you spoke by the Holy Spirit through the mouth of your servant, our father, David. And then they quote a, a well-known messianic prophecy. Why do the nations rage and the people's plot in vain? The kings of the earth rise up and the rulers band together against the Lord and against his anointed one. The word Messiah or Christ means anointed one. This is a prophecy about Jesus um, that was hundreds and hundreds of years before his birth. In other words, they're saying, God, you predicted all this would happen. You said it way back then. Verse 27, indeed, Herod and Pontius Pilate met together with the Gentiles and the people of Israel in this city to conspire against your holy servant, Jesus, whom you anointed. They did what your power and will had decided beforehand should happen. This is so powerful. They say, even in the midst of all this, all that, that the crucifixion of Jesus, what we understand from what Jesus said, hey, nobody takes my life from me. I lay it down. This was all part of your plan to bring about the salvation of mankind. You weren't caught off guard by any of this. 
God, you're in control. This is incredible, an incredible insight. God, you're in control. Nothing catches you by surprise, God. And although we may not understand it all, we know it's about you. You're in control. And nothing catches you by surprise. And then here's their request. Here they get to the gimme part. This is normally where we start, right? Dear God, thank you for today. Now give me. They have a nice prayer leading up to the give me part. This is the for us part. And here's what they ask for. Now, Lord, consider their threats and dot, dot, dot. Now, what do you think they're going to pray for? Don't read ahead. What do you think they're going to pray for? I mean, if this is us, what are we praying for? Oh, God, protect us. Consider their threats and protect us, Lord. Keep us safe. Help those mean people just quit being so mean. Oh, God, would you just put a hedge of protection around (laughs) us? If you're like, you know, new to church, you're like, that's a really weird prayer, right? I agree. It's like, if you're going to pray for protection, why not like a big old angel, you know, with a giant sword of protection? No, we'll just have a hedge. (laughs) Just a hedge is fine. Sorry, a little comedy bit. I stole that. Yeah, so, you know, we'd be all about, Lord, protect us and keep us safe and heal Aunt Susie and, you know, and all these kind of things. Um, And I hope if you have an Aunt Susie who's sick, uh, we'll pray for her afterwards. Just picking on her. Um, I hope she gets healed. Um, So it'd be all this, wouldn't it? This This is the way we think. This is the way we operate. But do you think that's what they asked for? No, check this out. Verse 29, now, Lord, consider their threats and enable your servants to speak your word with great, what? Boldness. What? Great courage, great confidence. Stretch out your hand to heal and perform signs and wonders through the name of your holy servant, Jesus. Isn't that an incredible prayer? Lord, allow us to speak your word with great boldness. And then, God, would you just come and show up in ways that everybody can clearly see that this is you at work? So as we speak your word, would you confirm it in just incredible ways in the midst of us, God? Now, that's a prayer, isn't it? That's a powerful prayer. Contrast that to, you know, our, our everyday prayers, you know. Let me just ask you, when was the last time you prayed for boldness? Probably not real high on the prayer request list, has it been? When was the last time you said just, oh, God, would you just give me boldness so I can share about you? God, you've given me forgiveness. I have the greatest news in the history of the world. Would you just give me the boldness to share that? Not weird. I don't want to be weird, but just, you know, bold. Peter and John, this wasn't a weird thing. They were telling the story of what they had witnessed. You're telling the story of redemption and salvation and what God has done in your life. And the fact that through Jesus, forgiveness is available to each and every one. It's the greatest story in the history of the world. And they said, we want boldness to share that. Oh, and God, just show up in incredible ways and move in the lives of those that this message is going out to. 
And I got to say, over um, the course of my, my journey of faith, my Christian life, you know, I've been a Christian since I was like that high, right? I've just witnessed this thing that it seems like the times we see God move in the most miraculous ways are those times when the gospel's going forward in different areas. I've, I've seen this in the mission field over and over again, right? That God does these incredible things. It's because it, people are speaking his word boldly. And he comes and moves in powerful ways. And so here's the result of this prayer, and this is so cool. It says, after they prayed, the place where they were meeting was shaken. And they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and spoke the word of God boldly. See, this is a prayer God loves to answer. Because when you pray something in Jesus' name, it's not just a tagline. You know, Lord, give me the Mercedes in Jesus' name. Thank you. (laughs) It means praying according to his will. And guess what? This is the mission. When he gathered his guys together and gave them the Great Commission, the Great Commission was to take the news of the gospel to the ends of the earth, to make disciples of all nations, that you've been entrusted with the greatest message in the history of the world. What are you going to do with it? And so this is a prayer that God loves to answer, and he answers this one right away. Boom, you got it. It goes on, and here, this is so cool. Luke records this because it's like not actually related to the prayer, but I think it really is related to what they prayed for. Because check this out. He says, all the believers were one in heart and mind. That's on mission, on task. When they came together, they had a commonality of faith in Jesus and this mission he'd entrusted them with. Man, it would be powerful if we came together like that every week, if all the churches in our valley came together with one heart and one mission. One focus. It would change our valley. It would change the world, I think. It says, no one claimed that any of their possessions was their own, but they shared everything they had. Check this out. With great power, the apostles continued to testify of the resurrection. They didn't tone it down. They were bold. They didn't, uh, let's just be smart and, you know, just go off and teach about the parables for a while. No, they'd seen, they'd witnessed the resurrection. They couldn't stop talking about it. And check this out. And God's grace was so powerfully at work in them all that there were no needy persons among them. For from time to time, those who had owned land or houses sold them, brought the money from from the sales and put it at the apostles' feet, and it was distributed to anyone in need. All of a sudden, this amazing work of generosity just came naturally out of their hearts because they were all one in mission. And there's something that happens in your heart when you ask for boldness and then step out and speak with boldness because you see God come through in your life in a powerful way. And you're connected with the heart of what he made you for and saved you for and commissioned you for in this world. And powerful things happen in your life when you connect to that. Now, As we head into this new season with our church, here's what I want for you. And if you get this, it's going to be amazing for our church. If you connect with this at a heart level, it will keep our church from going from being very outward focused and and staying on mission to reach those that God's called us to reach to to just become an an insider focused church. If you can connect with this, because we are the body, we are the church. 
The church goes where the heart of the people sitting out here go. And if you can connect with this, it'll be powerful. I want our, ch- our church and each one of you to have a big vision that reaches that's way bigger than yourself. A vision to reach our community, reach our world for Jesus. I want your heart to beat when you, for your coworkers and your family and friends, like my little girl that just wouldn't rest, wouldn't stop praying until she saw her, G- her grandma connect with Jesus. I want you to have that again. Some of you, you had it. But it's sort of just gotten dull over time. And so what I want to invite you to do is to begin praying for boldness. Not instead of what you've been praying. I mean, keep praying all that other stuff. I don't, Susie needs your prayer. Keep praying. Keep praying for your kids to get into school and, and grades and, and all that. But honestly, a lot, of, a lot of the things we pray really don't require God to actually um, show up in any kind of powerful way for it to happen. He's like, all right, good grades. Just study hard. Gave you the potential. I want you to start praying about some things that actually require God to come in and move on people's hearts and do some incredible stuff to make it happen. Because chances are, if, if you're like most Christians, if God answered all the prayers that you prayed in this past year, um, really the only difference it would have made is in your life and some of your family and friends. And guess what? Prayers like that would not have gotten the message of Jesus out of the first century. Boldness like that wouldn't have done it. It was a boldness that they were willing to risk their lives for because of what they'd witnessed. And so I just want to challenge you. We're going to put this prayer back up here. And I want to challenge you not to quit praying the other stuff, but just to add this to your prayer because I think if you do and if you orient your heart towards the mission God's called you to be part of and you actually start praying and, and what you're going to start doing is noticing the opportunities he brings into your life where you can add, speak about Jesus, share his love for somebody else, where you can ask somebody, hey, can I pray for you? Where you can do an act of kindness for someone because you know God's tapping you on the shoulder and said, hey, you should be part of that. It'll tune you into it. I want to challenge you to add this to your prayers. If you're a parent, I want to challenge you. I did this with my kid because I challenged you, and I thought if I'm going to challenge them, I better do this. So last night, as we pray, we pray with my kids every night at bedtime. You know, bless them, give them sweet dreams, that whole thing, right? Let them know you've got a plan for their life. You love them so much. We love them so much. And I said, hey, guys, I want to add this. What if we pray for boldness, that God would give us boldness to reach those that he wants to reach through us, and that he would move in a mighty way in our midst. So if you're a parent, would you start praying that with your kids? And if the praying the bottom part of that kind of weirds you out, because maybe you're like, oh, I don't really know if God still does that kind of stuff anymore. I firmly believe that he does. I could tell you all sorts of amazing stories. But if you're not there yet, why don't you just pray and ask God to just move and show up in your life, in your friends or family's life in a way that they just know it's him that he would just confirm that his love to them in, in a way that only God can do. That they would show up in, Lord, as I pray for boldness and as I speak to people that you've placed in my life and as I communicate your love for them, Lord, would you just show up and confirm that in a way that only you can do? That only you, would you move? You are alive and active, God. We believe that. Would you move in people's lives? What would it look like if 
the churches in, in this valley began to pray big, bold prayers. If every believer in this valley began to do this, I think God would answer it. I think it would change our city. I think you and I have the opportunity to be part of that. One of the primary things that got the message of Jesus out of the first century was the boldness of his early followers. And I just want to pray for that for you. And so I want to invite you to stand. And we're going to read this aloud together. If you're not comfortable, you don't have to. Or, you know, if you're just checking out church, you don't have to. If you're, if you're like, I'm a sold out, committed follower of Jesus, you have to. You're not off the hook. Okay? So here you go. Let's read this once together. Enable us, your servants, to speak your word with great boldness. Stretch out your hand to heal and perform signs and wonders through the name of your holy servant, Jesus. Let me pray for you. Lord, I just want to say thank you for my friends. Lord, would you give us the vision to be part of what you want to do in this valley in reaching people with, your, with the greatest message in the history of the world, the gospel? Would you give us a passion to see those around us in our circle of influence, influenced towards you, Jesus, that they would experience your love in powerful ways, that we would express your love to them. And Lord, for that person in the room that's still skeptical about you, not sure about you, Lord, I pray the second part of this, that you would confirm your love for them in a way that only you can. That they would, they would know your presence in a way that only you can pull off, Lord. And that you would continue just to draw them to yourself. Lord, I thank you for my friends. Bless them. I pray these things in the name of Jesus. Amen.